James Fox. I'm Alex Maskell. This is Off the Fence. It's true, it's true. <laughs> Nevada Caucasus, excellent result. We're going to get to that in a moment. Yeah, welcome to the show. How are you doing, Alex? How are you doing? Uh, I'm not too bad. I'm about to go see Napalm Death shortly, so that should be fun. Nice. I saw them support Glassjaw a few years ago. In That seems like a very strange pairing. Uh, I think... Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw saw them play a while back and was just like, yeah, I want to put them on my band. Anyway, Makes sense. music aside, international politics, looking at America and seeing Bernie Sanders, the Vermont socialist, come out on top in the Nevada caucuses. And we're going to be talking about that and the rest of the race to become the Democratic nominee for US president. Yeah, it's finally happened. Uh, the best liked candidate in the entire race, according to approval rating, is actually winning now. Who could possibly have thunk it? If you listen to the podcast for the first time, this is Off The Fence. We're on soundcloud.com slash off the fence. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, all on there. You can subscribe. And on Twitter, we're at Off The Fence Talk. It's very good, isn't it? You don't get the sort of call to action discipline with other lefty podcasts. And <laughs> that's one of the things that makes us, frankly, uh, one of the smallest. <laughs> um, right, Nevada. So one of the more uh, westward states in America, for those that don't know it, and obviously they have a caucus rather than a primary. There's the third one in this process. Yeah, after Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, the first one, though, to really um, delve into um, demographics that hadn't really been represented in the first two primaries. Iowa, yeah. very white. New, New Hampshire, very white. Overwhelmingly white. And yeah. the one, the people there who weren't white overwhelmingly went for the person who the much less white uh, county uh, state also went for. So, yeah. There's only one candidate who seems to be having a broad coalition of white voters and people of colour. Um, and that seems to be Bernie Sanders. Anyway, Nevada, yeah, lots of Latino voters where Sanders has been doing very well. Biden as well, we'll come on to talk about him, vice president. But let's just get into some of the results, first of all. Um, these are coming from the New York Times when I grabbed them just recently. It looks like Bernie Sanders got 46% of the vote. Um, it is still being counted at time of recording, so these not, likely won't yeah. be the final figures. Not 46% of the vote, but 46% of these delegates that come about from the popular vote, which comes from in two stages. It's a complex and you know convoluted process. But anyway, Bernie Sanders is doing significantly better than his polling average for the states and kind of pretty much doubling the support from the next nearest challenger, Joe yeah. Biden. He was on 19.6 at the last point I checked. I think this was at 60% at the time of recording, um, 60% of the results. They don't move too much once you get to over halfway. But yeah, Sanders, 46%, Biden, 19%, and Buttigieg, 15.3%, Elizabeth Warren, 10%, under that 15% threshold. So only the candidates get above 15% get any results from this at all they don't get any delegates they fall below so warren no gone so yeah a, a resounding the, the the headline from that is a resounding kind of you know landslide for bernie sanders there um that he's on 46 the next nearest challenger on 19 yeah it's it's not close it's it's extremely brutal uh hide hide the children they can't be allowed to watch this <laughs> um just to put it in context of the race we've had so far though this was a record-breaking result this was the first time ever a candidate who is running to be the presidential nominee for either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, is it just a Democratic thing, any you know major political party in America that has won the popular vote in the first three states. Obama didn't do it. No one's ever done it before since they had primaries and caucuses for like the past sort of 40, 50 years. 
Sure. I mean, the record keeping in Iowa famously has not been <laughs> great in previous things. Like the the reason it doesn't doesn't exactly things... uh, give you much confidence on that regard. Does no, it? but even before that, my understanding is that they typically didn't even record the votes at a lot of stages of the sort of process of counting them. So. It's kind of, it's, what's, it's one of the what, what even then we still know. That, that's like, what I mean. It doesn't give you confidence that this was, you know, back to the Iowa caucuses a few weeks back. This was the first time they recorded the actual popular vote. Yeah. <laughs> so all these other ones we've had, like, how do we know that all the Iowa caucuses dating back 40, 50 years were legitimate whatsoever? It's, it's bizarre. They should just scrap having Iowa first. Uh, they should have something else first. Yeah. I mean, didn't stop Bernie winning. Which True. He did. Yeah, Sanders is now, with this result from Nevada, he's now solidified as the frontrunner in this contest. I would actually argue that he was already the frontrunner, but what this result does, it silenced the cynics. They can no longer deny that fact anymore. I mean, some of the cynics, uh, most notably, have their own cable news network. And these aren't people that are necessarily right-wing in the sense of Fox News, but famously MSNBC has been incredibly anti-Bernie. To the extent where when these results came in last night, left Twitter in America uh, was just sort of piling in on MSNBC uh, and just saying, yeah, you've got to tune into MSNBC right now because it's like a house fire. Yeah, it was it was the best thing on television. You do have some clips. This first clip is actually from a reporter. Um, just to give you an insight into some of the reporting from the caucuses. And just notice here... What happens in this clip? She's reporting from a caucus, giving an eye view of like some of these, you know, uh, the you know the demographics of the state is you know more than sixty percent people of color. So she's talking about those demographics and what those different groups seem to be going for in terms of their candidates' choices. And notice the tone in her voice and the title of this clip, which is "Large Sigh." These again are people who work on the strip within two and a half miles of the Bellagio, largely people of color of those the majority are latino and they are clearly at least from eyeballing it strongly in favor of bernie sanders with joe biden coming in second (laughs) she seems to be on the verge of tears yeah it's that long pause and then the big sigh that's just like she she you know most people the sigh is good but the little waver of the voice just before (laughs) it you That's, know, we, we you listen to our media in, in this country. It's almost a sob. Like people, our media in this country, there's obviously you know journalists at the BBC, journalists at other um, you know news outlets that have their own politics and views, and that creeps into some of their reporting sometimes. But you never hear this sort of thing where it's like someone's visibly frustrated at the words that they're having to report. It's incredible. And they are clearly, at least from eyeballing it. Strongly in favour of Bernie Sanders. Yeah, it's it's entertaining listening anyway. But even more bizarre was, and this has been referenced many times, the tears of Chris Matthews, who is, again, an MSNBC host. And he seems to be losing his marbles completely. He's always been a strange one, but particularly recently, he's really been on one. He's obviously, as you're going to hear, very against the idea of Bernie Sanders being the nominee or being the president at all. He's actually, he's you know, entertained the idea, which many have, you know, uh, thought about and relates to the Corbyn situation over here as well. It's like, if Bernie Sanders does become the nominee, wouldn't it actually be better if Trump wins, right? <laughs> You yeah, know, this he, is that he, weird centrist thing. He did like, give voice to the idea that, like, because MSNBC is, like, supposedly, like, the liberal Fox or whatever, but what they actually are is basically uh, the media wing of the Democratic Party establishment. And uh, 
you know, this this was him giving voice to the thing of like, wouldn't it be better for the democratic establishment for Bernie not to win? And they put that to bed and they rebuild from that. And wouldn't four more years of Trump almost be better for them in the way? And it, it's, he obviously doesn't articulate in what possible way four more years of a Trump presidency would be better than a Bernie presidency. But, I mean, there are a lot of people, like, like we say, there are a lot of, like, consultant class people who will not be a part of the West Wing as they were always supposed to be. And if that's enough to give, like, four more years to this sort of crypto-fascist, then I guess for some people that's a, that's a thing that's worth it. Let's hear from Chris Matthews. This is the clip that's drawn the most amount of criticism of him. And some people said he should be fired for this sort of thing. And it is, I mean, it's, it's on the one front, ridiculous. A ridiculous thing to say. But on the second front, when you analyse it a little bit more, incredibly offensive to uh, certain people dating back years and years and years. Hey Brian, I know you're a history guy too. I'm reading last night about the fall of France in the summer of 1940. And the general, Renault, calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill said, how can it be? you got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. So I had that suppressed feeling. I can't be as wild as Carville, but he is damn smart. And I think he's damn right on this one. So that's Chris Matthews comparing Bernie Sanders' victory in Nevada and solidifying his position as the front runner in this primary to the German offensive taking over certain parts of the French front in World War II. Okay. Yeah, it's it's worth mentioning that Bernie Sanders is a Jewish candidate who lost a bunch of his family in the Holocaust. He, yeah. he has been on the actual receiving end of the Nazis who, like, Chris Matthews just thoughtlessly invokes. And this has been a thing that um, the MSNBC has done before. I believe it was Chuck Todd, one of their other anchors, yeah, yeah. Uh, who compared his uh, Bernie Sanders supporters to the Brown shirts. Now, obviously, like... These kinds of, like, entirely thoughtless, entirely contentless, just massively cynical comparisons of, like, the Nazis to someone from the people they try to eradicate is hugely anti-Semitic. Like, astonishingly so. And it's kind of fascinating to see this kind of thing just get said on American television to seemingly little protest outside of, like, people from lefty Twitter. Also in the race is Joe Biden, previous vice president to Barack Obama. He's been struggling. He had poured incredibly, he performed incredibly poorly in Iowa. I think came fourth, came yes. fifth in New Hampshire. He's been real shaky on his feet. Uh, like just the kinds of people who vote in those, which is to say like white people have yeah. completely abandoned him. We should say earlier in the week, there was a debate in Las Vegas where Mike Bloomberg, who's being the only person that could challenge Bernie, although that might change it with these results coming in anyway. It was funny with Bloomberg on the stage because suddenly Biden seemed to make more sense. And when you're Bloomberg was so bad that he made Biden look good. And there was one bit when um, Warren was going after Bloomberg on this Las Vegas um, debate that was absolutely wild. It's the most wild debate I've ever watched. She was going after Bloomberg on these NDAs, these non-disclosure agreements that he, he apparently has against loads of his staff and loads of women. Yeah, particularly women, the idea being... Yeah. Yeah, and Joe Biden essentially was like, come on, man, in the background. <laughs> when, when you're being called out, like, passively by... A guy who, like... <laughs> infamously just love sniffing random ass women's hair and being far too handsy like there's photographic evidence of it everywhere yeah and not just with women with 
Very young women, and by that I mean, you know, teenage prepubescent girls. Jesus Christ. But anyway, when you're being, like, passively called out by someone like that, it puts you in a bit of context. Also, apparently at the end of that debate, uh, Joe Biden, I don't know whether this was like a Twitter joke, but it seemed to be legit or something, I don't know, but... But, okay, but so this may either be true, true or a joke someone came up with on Twitter. Yeah. So brace yourselves yeah, for that. Yeah, it's either true or a hilarious... Either way, it's hilarious. But Biden walking up to Bloomberg and going, to words of the effect, welcome to the party, son. <laughs> um, yeah, he got Bloomberg got ripped. Um, we'll, I'm sure there's going to be another debate before South Carolina that Bloomberg is going to be involved in. And potentially we'll have some clips from that when that comes. Um, but yeah, Joe Biden, first time he's ever placed higher than fourth. In, in this Nevada caucus, he came second. In the 32 years he's run for president, he's never come higher than fourth in a primary or caucus. So what you're saying is he's surging. <laughs> in the context of Joe Biden, yes. <laughs> but yeah, late 80s he ran. He ran in the 2008 Obama-Hillary primary and he's running again now in 2020. And he's never come higher than fourth. This time he's, bro he's broken that ceiling, really. And so congratulations to Diamond <laughs> Joe. He's, he's done it. He's, he's on fire. Um, and we're proud of our boy. Oh, obviously, we're, is, we're big Biden boys. What, what's less, it's less embarrassing for him that he's never come higher than fourth. It's more embarrassing for the people that demanded that everyone acknowledge the electability of Joe Biden. He's just the electable candidate. Yet yeah. he's never come higher than fourth in a primary. Electability is one of those things that basically, like, people, People who are designated very serious people expect to be able to speak into existence. And there's basically no better case for that than Joe Biden. Yeah. I mean, electability, there is an argument it's a thing, like and it, on a very like surface level thing. But obviously, and like you just described, people play it up to a far bigger degree than it actually is. And people, people like certain people believe that they can dictate where, where it is yeah, and where it um, is not. Yeah. Uh, Joe Biden now relying on results in South Carolina. That's coming up uh, next Saturday, I believe. Yeah, because the, there were exactly two demographics that Joe Biden outperformed Bernie Sanders on in this one. Bernie Sanders absolutely took every other group. One was black people who he got, I believe, plus eight on the vote compared to Bernie. Yeah. And people over the age of 65. I mean, Sanders not doing poorly in that regard. No, no. He's a close not... second compared to Joe Biden. But Joe Biden has seemingly ongoing like support among the black community, uh, particularly older black people. Okay, so yeah, obviously he, he does very well in South Carolina, um, a state with a large African-American population. Then, Well, this, this was always supposed to be his firewall. They've yeah. always told this <laughs> hilarious story that the first states just didn't matter because the fourth one was going to vindicate uh, Joe Biden definitely being the candidate. Yeah. Well, in some ways, the early states don't matter in terms of delegate count, right? Because they're very small amounts of delegates. Super Tuesday is coming up on March 3rd, and that's when a third of all delegates are handed out, with large states like Florida, Texas, and California voting. You know, Bernie doing very well in those latter two, and Bloomberg doing better in Florida, just about. And loads of other states going as well, including the home states of two other candidates, Elizabeth Warren and Klobuchar. They are Massachusetts and Minnesota, respectively. Certainly, if, if Elizabeth Warren doesn't do very well in Massachusetts, she doesn't win that state, her home state, and she doesn't manage to win any other states, 
Why are you still in the race? And Bernie is going after Massachusetts very hard. They've yeah. got like a multi-day music festival that they're going <laughs> to be doing to get people canvassing. And that that you can tell that that strategy is to force Warren out of the race. And then even if she doesn't endorse a candidate personally, a large amount of her support is going to shift right over to Bernie Sanders. There's plenty yeah. of second preference polling that supports that. And well, what's interesting is second preference polling massively favours Bernie in general. Yes, like, yes. And this, this is where we've had... I should underline this before you get into that. We've had this weird thing of... Yeah, Bernie won in New Hampshire, right? But if you total up the, the votes from Joe Biden, Klobuchar and Buttigieg the moderate candidates, they beat Bernie. And that's how elections work, right? It doesn't. It's a, it's a, it's a batshit way of thinking. Yeah. Because when you is... look at the second preferences, okay, Amy Klobuchar, a proportion of those will go to Bernie Sanders and a proportion maybe slightly larger will go to another candidate. Um, look at Buttigieg, second preference is there. There'll be certain amounts that break down for all... They don't, like, uniformly split one way. They'll go more to one candidate than the other. Then look at Joe Biden. Apparently, if he's a moderate candidate that you're tallying up with the other moderate candidates, who's the second preference for Joe Biden? It's Bernie Sanders. It's Bernie Sanders, like, by a significant degree. And, of course, the the big kind of punchline here is this rationale absolutely does not work for regular voters because regular voters don't vote based on, hmm, I'm thinking a moderate who will go with moderate fiscal policy. They're thinking, oh, he looks like someone who, like, if he borrowed your headphones, would give them back, which... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> makes me want to vote for him. That's the kind, like that's that's how regular people view politics. That is how it would play out if they were doing a brokered convention and they were negotiating who various people's delegates would go to. And so that's what they were creating a narrative for. It's a narrative that becomes completely incoherent when you try and map it onto the sort of democratic decisions that regular people make. Yeah, on the brokered convention, if there's all these candidates still at the end and, you know, no one's got a majority of delegates and Bernie Sanders looks like he's going to at least have a plurality um, of delegates, then, you know, they have to decide who the the nominee is going to be. And if it's if it's not who won the popular vote, there could be riots like there were in that, uh, I think, the late 60s. There was a convention then when they... 68. 68. They picked a candidate who was not the popular, um, the winner of the popular vote. And that wasn't even on the ballot in a bunch of states. Um, so certainly if they did that, it would be Bloomberg. He's not on the ballot in a bunch of states. It would be equally... Well, we don't know. In that situation, it would be whoever was most tolerable to the Democratic leadership as represented through the uh, superdelegate system. And, and this is where the Warren discussion comes in. If Warren does lose Massachusetts and doesn't win any other states at all anywhere else, there is some speculation. I think this is maybe a stretch, but it's certainly possible that Warren stays in the race as the unity candidate so that when we get to the brokered convention, she then gets picked. Yeah, she's the one that the people in the smoky back rooms say, okay, she she's the one that will best unify this. And I, I think it's fair to say that that's actually kind of, at this point, her entire strategy. Yeah. Stay vaguely viable. Keep taking votes away from Sanders so that he doesn't get a majority. This is this is what the biggest news line. This was the biggest news line to come out of that Las Vegas debate in the last minute or two. Chuck Todd asked the audience, asked the all the, asked all the candidates on stage if we have a broken convention with a uh, one candidate with a plurality of uh, delegates and not a majority, will you support the candidate who has that plurality, who has the you know, the popular vote win. And every single one, including Warren, said, no, we should let the process play out as it's planned. Except Sanders. Except Bernie Sanders. But but notable that Warren yes. didn't as well. Because the, the narrative going into this was that 
she and Sanders were supposed to be a sort of unified force. They were supposed to be just trying to spread like progressive policy and progressive support uh, as far as possible by appealing to like different demographics. And at the end of the day, when one of them looked likely or unlikely to drop out, the other would take over and kind of consolidate that. And if that was going to happen, it would have happened after Bernie Sanders' little heart oopsie-daisy that he had. Um, and it didn't. He ended up coming back stronger, taking back the polling lead from Warren. And she appears to not... She appears to have, at that point, kind of committed to seeing this through to the end. That, that and, of course, taking in a whole load of uh, former Kamala and Hillary people, all of whom are, like vicious street street brawlers who desperately desperately hate <laughs> sanders i mean coming back on the second preference point as well the situation where things stand it looks pretty good for sanders in that case because the second preferences show where support might go when a candidate does drop out and all the candidates with second preference for bernie sanders are at the bottom of the main pack and all the candidates that don't have second preference for bernie sanders are you know in the second and third positions in the national polling yeah. so you know in that regard that's that's quite striking. Yeah, and I've certainly seen polls where between the first votes and the second votes where people who aren't viable get to, re uh, get to reorder themselves, the only person who gains any votes uh, in the polling I saw was Sanders. Everyone else lost votes because in the second preference, a lot of people just went over to Sanders. I saw um, Biden and Buttigieg getting a tiny fractional amount more um, not the same amount as Bernie Sanders, but managing to be able to, it was Warren fell well under that 15% threshold and wasn't, vi it's, you know, it's basically who's viable in certain districts. Anyway, like we said, these early states, they're not large amounts of delegates. The, the big amount of delegates comes on Super Tuesday. The function of these early states are not to be giving out large delegate counts and giving someone a big lead and everything like that. They're meant to test the candidates um, and they're meant to function as a way to whittle down the field like they did in 2016 with the GOP primary, the Republican primary. We had a similar amount of a large array of candidates, including Donald Trump and Ted Cruz and John Kasich and Marco Rubio. And slowly but surely, a lot of them, three jumped out of Iowa, a few more after New Hampshire. But we're not seeing that this time. That's what's causing a kind of spanner in the works, because there's this 15% threshold where if you're not getting above 15%, in any state, you don't get those statewide delegates. And if you've got eight people in the race, the more people you have in, the more likely it is that there's going to be a bunch of people who don't get above that 15% threshold. So one person can get above it and it essentially turns into a winner takes all delegate, you know, windfall for that candidate. They get all the delegates from that state and it's not proportionally allocated between a bunch of people. And that does appear to be what's happening here for the most part. Yeah. You know, it, it's certainly it's going to be a bit of a, of a slow start until we get... I think after Super Tuesday, we're going to really see people drop out. I don't understand why certain people haven't dropped out. Like we said, lots of people think Warren should drop out already. For reasons we've stated already, it's not going to happen until after Super Tuesday. But there's some other people that haven't dropped out that it's just like bizarre why they haven't. Calling back to 2016, who's the guy that dropped out like as immediately after the results came in for Iowa? Um, with Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, it was... Uh, Martin O'Malley? We, Martin O'Malley. We couldn't even remember his name because he's just like a, a non-factor from back then. Yeah, He dropped out straight away when he got 2%. 2% yeah. 2 in Iowa or something like that. 
Andrew Yang, he dropped out after New Hampshire, right? He suspended his campaign. Yeah, that's what they call it. They say suspended their campaign. He was on, I think, CNN saying, yeah, other candidates need to be doing this. What's going on? People need to bow out like I did. Tulsi Gabbard. What's going on with her? Tulsi Gabbard is a very strange candidate. Because in the Nevada caucuses, you want to know how many votes she got? The actual popular vote. This isn't delegates or anything like that. This is the first alignment, they call it. How many are we talking? 200. You know, Sanders got 19,000. This isn't the full results. This is like 60% reporting. Sure. But like, Gavin got 200 votes. How many did Yang get? 337. <laughs> He's not even in the race anymore. He suspended his campaign. He's not in the race and he got more votes. I mean, the Yang gang, you know, is blood in, blood out. It's. I don't know whether what I'm about to say is better or worse than that. Uncommitted. 258. So more people voted for someone, for not committing to a person, a candidate, than voted for Gabbard. What's going on? Why are you in the race still? Drop out. Yeah, drop out and concentrate on suing Hillary Clinton. It's not even like she's blocking someone. She's just wasting her own time. Like, what's she trying to do? Like, I don't know. Is it at this point I'm like, well, she's not dropping out already. She Clearly, she's just going to stay in the race till the end and get no votes. I mean, she's genuinely a very, very strange person. Looking ahead, South Carolina. Next time you hear from us, we'll be speaking about that primary, which happens the following weekend. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that. Likely a Biden potential win, although we could see a Sanders win. But I think It's been drawing closer and closer. Yeah, the expectation is a strong Sanders second place, potentially even a win. It would be uh, surprising to see anything less from Bernie Sanders in that situation. I guess the performance of Bernie Sanders in that state will be measured up um, and will be gauged, even if he doesn't win it, it'd be kind of you know, where he lies with um, the African-American vote. Yeah, also it'd be really nice if uh, Mayor Pete does absolutely nothing there. Yeah, which is a very strong possibility. This has been Off The Fence. Thanks for listening. If it's your first time, hit follow on soundcloud.com slash off the fence, or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, a bunch of others. And on Twitter, we're alpha, at Off The Fence Talk as well. Uh, I've been James Fox. I'm Alex Maskell. Cheers.